Hello, everyone. I'm Joshua Eaton, your host for today. Well, your host mostly every day now. And thank you for turning in to TLDR Press for this January the 19th, 2022. So, uh, before we get right into uh, what's going on with the news today, there have been some very, very big changes here at uh, TLDR Press. Now... <clears throat> There's a lot of work to do to get this platform operational. We discovered some community guidelines policies with YouTube that could potentially interfere with other content development. For example, running this news channel in association with a gaming channel. If one channel receives a strike for whatever reason, it can cause a conflict for the other channels. So we've separated them and... Although today we are broadcasting on our old channel, uh, we are in the process of a seven-day wait period to migrate to our new channel. As well, um, we have also purchased a brand new email server. Um, this server provides a secure and encrypted uh, email, so everything is protected. Uh, from that standpoint as well, it also has a included VPN service. So everything is secure and encrypted. Our website is being developed. And believe me, a lot of work is being put into that. I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm putting as much effort into that as humanly possible. It is most definitely not an easy task. I've been putting in a lot of uh, a lot of programming, a lot of work, just to make sure that everything is done appropriately. <clears throat> okay, so before the news conference starts in nine minutes, let's go over the state of affairs. Now, I'm going to bring up the uh, the dashboard here. Just give me one second. Sorry, I uh, I apologize for that. I hope my microphone worked. Just let me test the mute button here. Okay, so I just had to make sure the mute button works. I've got uh, snacks with me today. So before I get into the dashboard, I sent an email, a media inquiry to Dr. Strang last evening to ask about a, a number of things. And one of the things I wanted to ask about is why is the emphasis only on isolation and vaccination, but nobody's talking about comorbidities and other contributing health risks. We know for a fact that, you know, somebody like myself who is, you know, by all accounts, morbidly obese, that it has a very serious effect on my risk with COVID-19. So I think that's part of the discussion. 
that we have to have. So let's start having a discussion about healthy eating habits. Now, I said I have a snack here. I have hummus and uh, carrots. It's a very, very uh, delicious meal. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. I'm definitely not going to complain. And, uh, so let's, let's get into this. So as of yesterday, January the, uh, the 18th, uh, 2022, 415 positive cases. That is absolutely phenomenal. I, I, I can remember when the numbers were getting up there, you know, to the, up there around a thousand, it was, it was getting pretty, pretty scary for a lot of people. The numbers are coming down. You can see here the total number of active cases uh, estimated at 5511. That's really, really good. Um, hospitalizations are up to 73 with 15 of those in the ICU. Now, the government and specifically the media have been finally clarifying the hospitalization numbers. They are now differentiating between people who are hospitalized because of COVID-19 and people who are hospitalized that happen to have COVID-19. That's a very big distinction. The updates are that approximately 870,824 people in Nova Scotia have received their first dose of a vaccine. 798,000. 61 have received a second dose and almost 300,000 have received a third dose. So what does that mean? That means that right now, 90.6% of the population of Nova Scotia have had at least one dose of the vaccine. We were told that we had to hit 75% for herd immunity. We're at 90% for one dose and according to the government's official numbers, 83% for two doses. We are doing extremely well with the vaccines. I am obligated by terms of service to recommend that if you have any questions, don't take my advice because I'm not giving any. Talk to your doctor. Look at your medical history. Look at your current condition and make sure your doctor is consulting with you. Don't take any unsolicited medical advice and don't do anything that could otherwise put your health at risk. <clears throat> now let's look at some of the uh, other things here. Deaths 122. That's not good. Nobody wants to see that. <clears throat> and, um, as far as everything else here goes, I think we're doing really good. I also wanted to talk about, before the uh, the government starts their broadcast here in a few minutes, oh, looks like they are, okay, they've got the, uh, they had a placeholder up here and they shut it off. They went live for approximately 54 seconds. So... <clears throat> I 
came across some some things from the uh, uh, Nova Scotia Teachers Union. They're asking teachers in Nova Scotia about whether or not they're afraid of how things are being handled. They mentioned occupational health and safety. Um, it, it's not looking good, folks. Uh, teachers are unhappy. Uh, parents like myself are unhappy. Like my children today, they are, instead of being in school, they're at home. I have them doing their evening lessons, or sorry, rather afternoon lessons. In the morning, we have a structured uh, tabletop learning time. And then in the afternoon, we we have games. They have special learning games, uh, mathematics and writing and reading as, as well as typing. So that is uh, that is what they're they're going to be doing. So let me check here. Is the government coming on live yet? I don't see them. They've got two minutes. So I, I don't uh, I don't want to get too far into this without uh, and, uh, and 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 miss the uh, the live broadcast. So give me one moment here. I'm going to bring up a uh, document that has been shared internally. With, um, let me see here, where is it? It's been in, uh, shared internally with the Nova Scotia Teachers Union. And you know what? I am not seeing it here. Oh, boy. I really need to have this stuff prepared. <laughs> My apologies. I, I did have a little bit of a, uh, a technical issue today. We, uh, we had a problem with the camera. Oh, there we go. Okay, so the government is not yet live, so I'm going to switch the feed to the government channel. Just give me one moment here. And I had to look at my ugly face for a few minutes. There we go. So I will get off the screen. There we are, and we'll bring this up to full screen. Gonna make sure my my volume is up to a uh, a reasonable amount. There we go. All right. Still nothing. Boys, oh boys, they're taking their sweet time today. <laughs> so, as I was saying about um, the kids and the schools, they're they're asking a lot of questions. I'm hearing rumors about a possible strike. Um, don't don't take that statement uh, for a 100% certainty. There is a very real possibility that um, there won't be a strike. I mean, that is that is something that we don't know. Um, I don't know if they have the ability to do a strike or not. Um, but if there is a 
if there's a problem with occupational health and safety, then that could be that could be something that causes a problem. <clears throat> and they're uh, they're still not here, boys oh boys. Let me see if I can uh, let me see if I can find that paper here. Then, while we're waiting. I will uh, dig through my information here and see exactly what was going on. Uh, where is it here? Ah, here it is. Hmm, very interesting. I assume that I had the, uh, hmm, very interesting. It appears that the, uh, the screenshot of the letter is gone from the place that it was broadcast publicly. I will definitely try and find a. A, a new copy of that here. Just give me one more second here. I knew I probably should have had this prepared in advance, but that's what happens when you're when you're trying to develop and roll this out. It doesn't look like I'm going to find it. <clears throat> yeah, I can't. Uh, my my apologies. I uh, I can't actually find what's going on. Checking my oh here we go. Okay, we are getting ready to go. They are only three minutes Good late. Good afternoon I'll and thank them, you for joining us. I'll give my them name some is Tina Tebow and I will be your moderator for today's COVID briefing. Joining us today, the Honorable Tim Houston, Premier of the Province of Nova Scotia, and Dr. Robert Strang. Now I'm gonna mute her for a second. Or perhaps not. Uh, condolences to eight families who have lost loved ones since our, since our last uh, COVID briefing. So condolences to the families. Uh, today we're going to talk about hospitalizations, schools, and an update on boosters. So first okay. let's start with uh, is, hospitalizations. Is... But just I want to talk a little bit off the top too about uh, the impacts of COVID. COVID has, has really two impacts on our lives. The first impact and the one that we often talk about here at these briefings is uh, the ability to work and enjoy life and, and the second impact uh, is, is obviously the, the service delivery, the impact on the health authority. So there are many factors that impact both of these vaccination status, pre-existing conditions, um, uh, the human resources in the healthcare system, the preparedness before the pandemic are all just some of the factors. So it's important to, to stress this because uh, where we can each do our part to reduce the burden on the system, we, we should do it. So, so here's where we are today. Uh, there are 83 Nova Scotians in hospital today uh, with admissions related to COVID. So okay, to that's, me, that's 10 more this than number is an indicator of the direct impact this variant is having on people's lives. It's the first, the first impact I've talked about, the ability to work and enjoy life. Uh, of of this group, 12 are in the ICU. The average age is 68. Uh, of those in hospital okay, in this that's group, 20.5% 20. 20. Uh, 20. uh, have no vaccination. 
Uh, there are no children in the hospital. The average That's length good. of stay of a COVID patient in a Nova Scotia hospital right now is 6.5 days. So for these briefings, we've tended to focus on, on those 83 people, those 83 Nova Scotians who are admitted because of COVID uh, in the context of discussing the severity of the virus. That's these very are important. the people whose COVID was so severe, they could no longer manage their symptoms at home. But at the same time, I, I agree that if you are in the hospital and you have COVID, more resources are needed to, more resources have to be diverted from regular services to provide care. So it is appropriate that we look at this number. And in terms of that number, uh, there's a total of 256 Nova Scotians in the hospital today with COVID impacting the system. This includes the 83 that I've mentioned, uh, but it also includes 66 patients in the hospital who were admitted for other issues, uh, but were discovered to have COVID on arrival at the hospital. Uh, so this could be a heart attack patient who on admission was found to have COVID. Uh, and, and there are further 107 patients who were already admitted for other reasons and have contracted the virus in hospital. So an example of this would be a patient who's in for a hip replacement uh, but contracted COVID while recovering from their surgery. So with 256 uh, total Nova Scotians in the hospital, you can see where the pressure is mounting on our healthcare system. So I want to say uh, clearly to our healthcare workers, I, I know uh, the burden you're carrying. Uh, you're over I, I'm just going to jump in here for a quick second. Yes, you know, we have over 200 people in the hospital, but we have a province of 1 million people. We shouldn't be having issues with our healthcare system with that many people in the hospital. Regardless of political party affiliation, this has been a pre-existing problem for literally decades. Overworked, overwhelmed. Um... And there's a lot of emotions, and, and I share them, and I certainly don't blame you. Uh, we're all feeling a bit overwhelmed right now. Uh, this is a lot for anyone, and you're on you're on the front line. So we hear you, and we see you. Um, um, the other, we were also overwhelmed in a positive way, and that's those who came forward to help with boosters. So we're we're now at the point where we have uh, more volunteers than shifts. So we put the cry out for for volunteers, and and people stepped up. So thank you for that. This is incredible. Uh, in such a, such a short amount of time that we've had so many volunteers and, and that have sprung into action. I really appreciate that. Um, uh, I have expressed uh, some frustration this week to the, to the health authority over the fact that some of those who volunteered and offered to help uh, didn't hear back. Uh, this, was, this was a thing that we really didn't want to happen, and it did happen. So for that, uh, to those Nova Scotians that volunteered and didn't hear or haven't heard yet, I, I apologize. Um, in, in a province where our healthcare workers haven't always been respected appropriately, I don't want you to think for a second that we didn't appreciate you you putting your name forward and, and sticking your hand up and saying you would help. So, uh, healthcare workers are exhausted. I know you're exhausted. Uh, you've given everything you have and, and you offered to give more. So, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. They're working very uh, let's hard. Let's talk about schools. Um, very, very our hard. Our schools opened on Monday. I know there were some hiccups, um, but uh, my we'll understanding is they've been worked out. We expected some hiccups on the return to school, but um, we're expecting uh, school they've to been be worked closed. Out. Classes without um, um, updated ventilation systems 
now have the systems that we ordered. That's a, that's a good thing. All students and staff have been provided with three-ply masks. That's, that's a good thing. So um, the, despite the incredible, well-documented global shortage and issues with rapid test supply, Rapid tests are also available in our schools uh, on a need to be need to be uh, need be basis, and so that is also a good thing. So I, I thank everyone uh, behind the efforts of making that happen. It's much appreciated, and it's, and it's been uh, it's been more smooth than not smooth. I'm very pleased with that. So thank you for that. Uh, just as a point of reference, normal attendance in our schools is around 88 to 90 percent. Uh, these last couple of days, in, uh, attendance has ranged from 80 to 88%. So simple math suggests that there are about 8% of families who kept their children home for one reason or another. And uh, I certainly respect that. The emotions of, of, the, of the situation are, are not lost on any of us. Um, they're certainly not lost on me, and I feel them. So I, I want to stress, though, that our schools are safe and our schools are as safe as our communities. So anything that you can do to help keep our community safe, it helps keep our schools safe. And this is why Dr. Strang and I are limiting our personal contacts and, and appearing virtually for this. Um, the reality of schools being open is not contradicting the message that we need to reduce activity and work from home in our communities where possible. These are not mutually exclusive directions. They're exactly consistent directions. When we keep our community safe, we do our part, uh, and we do our part to limit movement. We in turn protect our essential workers. Um, right now, those include healthcare workers and of course our educators and, and people working in, in long-term care across the system. So uh, when, we, when we protect our essential workers, uh, we, we protect our children and we protect the access of our children to the education system. So. Uh, we're not uh, oblivious to the stark reality that many of our jobs require us to work outside the home. We know that. So let me let me assure you that I fully appreciate this. But um, but but to those that can, limit your movements where you can, where you can. So um, we can all do that to help keep our schools open. So another measure that we can take to keep our students and staff safe is vaccinations. Uh, before I speak to vaccinations and boosters, uh, I'd like to touch uh, quickly on contact tracing, though. Apparently, there is uh, there's still confusion around contact tracing. Uh, so to be very because clear, there isn't one, Mr. nobody Breen. is restricted from telling anyone that they have COVID. Um, you, if you have COVID, you can tell whoever you want that you have COVID. That's absolutely that's absolutely, of course, the case. People people can share what they want to share about themselves or about their families in any way they want, um, but. But, um, but right now, at this stage of the pandemic, the reality uh, of this wave and the reality with COVID right now is uh, we need to, and this is why we talk about personal responsibility. Um, when we talk about personal responsibility, we mean that given all of the COVID around, people should be aware of their own health status and they we shouldn't are. rely on contact tracing or exposure notifications uh, from the government or from anyone else to manage their own health. This is the time to take responsibility for your own healthcare status as much as you can. This is the time to support one another. Um, that's the blue noser way. And we know that our <laughs> children want to be in way. school. Uh, we know that school staff have done their part to keep school environments safe by getting vaccinated. Now we need parents of children over five to do the same thing. 
get your children vaccinated. Give them additional that additional protection and help us protect our communities and our classrooms. Vaccine appointments are available across the province right now. So, so please sign up. And in terms of boosters, on, on January 5th, sitting right here, we said, uh, Dr. Strang and I said that the team uh, had worked hard to open up thousands of January uh, appointments. Um, they continue to blow us away, I will tell you. At this stage in the month, their ambitious plan was to do about 139,000 uh, shots. That included time to get up and Come running. And that included time to work out the kinks. Um, but I will say that um, they have really, uh, they wanted to hit stride towards the end of the month, but they've really hit stride already. In fact, so far this month, they've done in the range of 152,000 uh, boosters. So they're exceeding their own ambitious targets. In fact, they're knocking it out of the park since then. I can't thank them enough. Um, just yesterday, they did uh, 15,368 boosters just yesterday. So spots continue to open because uh, people and, and people, are working hard and stepping up to make sure that they open. Um, I do want to say there was a clip on the news last week and I included interviews with two retired nurses that have uh, sprung into action. I was able to track both of them down and speak to them. Oh, thank you, Janet, for making that happen. Um, but one of them made a very powerful statement that really impacted me in that news clip. Um, she said that when that needle goes in, she instantly knows that she helped that person. It was such a powerful thing. And if you stop and think about that, there are thousands of people across this province stepping up every single day to support you and instantly help you protect yourself. All we need you to do is sit in the chair and let them. Uh, so please do that. On, on Monday, we opened up boosters to everyone 18 and over. Uh, who've had their second dose at least six months ago. That's the NACI recommendation. As of yesterday, 82% of our Pfizer appointments are booked up, so people are, are stepping up and, and booking them, and we should see more uh, booking up in the coming days. But to date, 50% of the population, 18 and over, has either had their booster or is booked for their appointment. That's, that is very significant. So thank you for doing your part to keep us all safe. Dr. Strang? Uh, thank you, Premier, and good afternoon, everybody. And before I start, I want to thank a, a special person, uh, Professor Jerry O'Coin, for today's tie that I'm uh, privileged to be wearing that he, he sent me. Thank you, Jerry. And it saddens me to have to start today by acknowledging that eight more Nova Scotians have died from COVID in the last week. And my deep sympathies go to their families and loved ones. We've had 15 deaths since the Omicron wave started on December 8th. And those Nova Scotians have left behind many more friends, families, and loved ones. For most people, the Omicron variant results in symptoms that are less severe than other COVID variants. But it is much more infectious, and it is still taking lives and leaving many others very sick at home and in hospital. Our healthcare system continues to be under tremendous pressure. Our hospitals are full. In fact, they're beyond the 100% capacity. I've talked with them uh, over the last few days, and it is an extremely delicate balance. Most non-COVID programs not be and full. services, not by services any have had to be reduced so that COVID care can be provided our and also be full. to maintain emergency and urgent care for other uh, health issues. Staff in the healthcare system are under great strain, and they deserve everyone's support and deep gratitude and thanks. 
And we have a responsibility to help them. And the best way to help is to reduce the circulation of virus in the province. We all need to slow down our lives and be extra careful. As the Premier said, our vaccination rate is very good. 83% of our population has two doses and almost 93% have had a first dose or have one booked within the next 30 days. And about 50% about of those eligible to have a booster have had one or have an appointment booked. But there are still over 70,000 Nova Scotians who are eligible to be vaccinated but are not. Vaccination is protecting all of us from severe illness and it's limiting the impact on our healthcare system and on Nova Scotians who are at risk for severe outcomes. This is the plain and simple truth. So it's never too late to start your vaccine series and do your part to not only protect yourself, but to help your family, friends, and other Nova Scotians. And also, if you are vaccinated with two doses, it's important to get your booster dose dose to strengthen your protection and also add to the protection of how all many Nova boosters Ms. Uh, dr strang how many you know Three, the public school four, students are back in classrooms five. this week and post-secondary institutions are returning to in-person learning in the next couple of weeks in-person learning is critically important for all students our young people our future generations have endured a lot over the past two years and we need to support them now so they have long-term success. I do understand that there is some anxiety about in-person learning. We've considered yep. the risks and benefits, sought input from experts, and made the decision that the benefits of students and learners being in classrooms with their peers far outweighs any risks. And I wanna take some time today to address the top questions that I've been asked and many other has, in, of my colleagues have been asked about schools. The, the, the question that I'll first address safety in schools. And I wanna start by saying that we can't equate safety with being COVID free. In school or anywhere in our province, COVID is everywhere. So of course it will be in our schools. We can, however, consider the multiple layers of safety in place at schools, and that these are layers that are that are like not in contract place tracing in many other and actually reporting COVID cases. These include masking, in, increased support for ventilation, increased access to testing, cohorting, and of course, vaccination. Here's what we do know: there is a lot of COVID-19 in Nova Scotia, and it will be in our schools because it is in our communities. Omicron presents in children as mostly mild illness. The vaccine doesn't prevent all COVID infections, but it does protect against severe disease. And the single dose of vaccine uh, provides some protection and keeping at least eight weeks between the first and second dose provides the strongest longer long-term protection. Public health measures in schools provide additional protection and limit the spread of the virus in those settings. And again, being in class with their friends and peers Check is best for young people's screen. learning, development, and emotional well-being. Yeah, still only 720. So the most important things to focus on to slow the spread of COVID-19 in schools are vaccinating everyone who is eligible, staying home if you have any new respiratory But vaccinations symptoms, don't slow the spread. Cold or flu symptoms means it just you lowers stay home. your chance uh, of serious uh, illness. That's, that's critically important. And then following the testing guidelines as required, whether it's for PCR or rapid testing. 
and closely following all the other public health measures. Next week, we will be providing rapid tests to all students and staff in the public school system and regional centers for education will work with private schools and the Mi'kmaq Education Authority to, to distribute tests for them as well. And these tests can be used if a student or staff member has symptoms and because of the potential for ongoing exposures in school, families and staff will have the option to use these tests up to twice a weekly, even if they have no symptoms. And I want to take this opportunity to remind everyone that if you've had a COVID infection in the last 90 days, we don't need you to test. It's not advised at all. It's very unlikely that you have COVID, plus your test may still be positive from your prior infection. However, however if you do develop new cold or flu-like symptoms, you, probably, you have another virus uh, that's within that 90-day period, and you should still stay home until your symptoms have improved. Yeah, if you're, if you're sick, stay home. I'm that's common often, sense. Uh, is about that's not COVID-19 protocols. That's We're just common many sense. many parent groups attempt contact tracing on their own. And while I appreciate that people want to help and feel the, the information is important, there really is no additional benefit uh, in school settings to have, uh, to, be, to have that contact tracing. Relying on being notified by government or someone else official about being a close contact, whether in schools or elsewhere, it, it gives people a false sense of security. COVID is all around us right now, and it's possible that we will be exposed anytime we're out and around people. That's why we all need to focus on being cautious and using personal protective measures, as well as closely monitoring our own health, staying home when we develop new cold or flu symptoms. Um, that's how we protect uh, protect uh, each other. Some people can't uh, and, and do that. Again, they the have to go to work. Relying on being notified and, and then uh, the false assumption that if you're not notified, you're somehow not at risk. Just don't work anymore uh, with the widespread of Omicron. I recognize that this is a significant psychological shift and, shift, and I understand why it is creating concern and anxiety for some parents and teachers. But the reality is that the advice uh, will be the same whether you've been identified as a class, classroom close contact of a case or not. It will always come back to follow public health measures to keep yourself and others safe, stay home when you're sick and test as appropriate, and get vaccinated with a full series and booster doses when you're eligible. Do we Parents need the booster to follow doses? Whatever That's procedures the question. are in place to report an absence. Uh, Who in needs school. them? Those Who procedures doesn't? have been in place well before COVID. And if they want to notify the teacher or other parents that their child has COVID, they can. If teachers want to, they can notify parents and guardians about their own COVID status. But schools and teachers are not expected to notify families if a parent tells them of a positive case. That's because the children. teachers have been put under a gag order. They're not the last allowed question to I'm getting it. a lot is why are children in school, but we're asking people to work virtually and hold conferences and meetings mm. virtually. And the answer is simple. We are asking everyone who can work virtually to do so to limit spread and minimize exposure so that children can be in classrooms and our healthcare system can continue to function. We've said throughout the pandemic, our, our healthcare system and having our uh, learners in in-person learning are our top priorities. 
So it's about making sacrifices and choices to protect the people and systems that we have said are our highest priorities. Before I close on schools, I want to stress how important it is for all of us to support our children and youth as well as teachers by creating a sense of reassurance and calm in our language and actions about returning to school. I'm very concerned about the unnecessary fear and anxiety that has been fostered by some groups. Our children and our teachers need and deserve better. Hold on here. Hold on here, Dr. Strang. TLDR Press is supposed to be nonpartisan and non-opinionated, but Dr. Strang just made a completely false statement. Okay, he talks about the unnecessary fear and anxiety that is being fostered by some groups. I'm looking at the face of the man who has fostered this fear and anxiety, Dr. Strang. I'm looking at you. Okay, we've had three premiers in the past two years of this pandemic. We've had one Dr. Strang and you, sir, have been the one that has created this unnecessary, uh, sorry, unnecessary fear and anxiety. The premier, regardless of who sits in office, has created unnecessary fear and anxiety the local media has created unnecessary fear and anxiety you're telling us that our hospitals are overwhelmed dr strang we have a million people well slightly under but nonetheless we have basically a million people in this province i'm sorry but if like 250 people in a province of one million is causing a problem for our healthcare system. Why haven't you fixed it? You've had two years to, to build capacity. You've had two years to, to deal with all of these issues. Why hasn't it been done? Dr. Strang, why? Okay. That being said, several years ago, it is, not uncommon to have emergency rooms in this province shut down because there isn't enough staff, okay? This is before the pandemic. We've known all of this has been happening for like a decade or even longer than a decade before this pandemic even started that we needed more staff. The nurses were tired. The doctors, well, there's there's just not enough of them, okay? Why haven't you guys done anything to fix this decades-old problem? Oh, I forgot. You're going to exploit it, which is exactly what this man is doing right now. He's exploiting the numbers, and he's causing unnecessary fear and anxiety. He took contract tracing out of the schools. They put a gag order on the teachers. They shut down the people's ability to have access to the information that would make everyone feel better. If my child was a close contact of COVID-19, I would want to know. If someone else in the school was a close contact, I would want to know. I don't need to know that person's identity. I just need to know 
if they're a close contact, what is my risk factor? That's what I want to know. That's what other parents want to know. That's what everyone else wants to know. That's why there's so much fear and anxiety because this man, Dr. Strang, has said, nope, we're not going to report any of this. We're going to treat COVID-19 like influenza and the flu. I apologize for the rant. Let's get back to this. I know it seems like this pandemic will never end, but it will. And COVID-19 will become a more normal part of our lives. Until then, follow the restrictions and personal measures diligently. Get vaccinated. By doing so, you will reduce the opportunity for COVID-19 to spread and will be protecting your vulnerable family, friends, and neighbors. Slow down your life. Uh, to slow the spread in your community. Our healthcare system, our exhausted and dedicated healthcare workers. We'll hire more healthcare workers teachers then. Need Let people who want to come here from other yeah. countries that practice medicine come here Thank and actually Dr. practice Strang. medicine. Just a reminder, we'll take one question and one oh, follow-up from reporters gracious. on the line and the allotted time that we have for today's briefing. We'll start with Mike Gorman from CBC. Go ahead, Mike. Thank you. Dr. Strang, regarding contact tracing, the Health Authority website advises folks that if they test positive, they should reach out to their close contacts and let them know. Why should that be different in a school setting, particularly in elementary schools, where most kids either are not vaccinated at all or only have one shot? Well, what we've learned in, uh, when we did, we're doing this contact tracing in November and December, uh, particularly, was that doing that close contact uh, tracing and then the subsequent isolation of people who were identified as classroom contacts uh, was incredibly disruptive to our school system and to families. Well, so we're yeah, not going to be isolating people anymore. So essentially it comes back to whether you're identified as a close contact or not, uh, especially in the school setting where, where that they're, they're the, the, the burden on, on, on continuing to do this contact uh, this notification is significant uh, when the message doesn't change at all. Um, it's the it, as I stated in my my remarks. How do we know if we're close contact, Doctor Strang? Is get if vaccinated. Nobody's allowed to tell us. Um, follow all the personal how do we know? protective if you're measures, not doing especially schools, and if you're how sick do we know? New cold and flu-like symptoms, stay home. So that 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 message doesn't change just because somebody has been a close contact, and so to have that substantive burden on on schools and, and public health. When they're both stretched, um, it, it, we need them to be focusing on other aspects of, of COVID and their and their uh, and certainly in schools their underlying mandate, important mandate of, of teaching and learning. Um, uh, we need them to focus on those things that are effective, uh, not things that, uh, that that really don't change any action on the on the part of uh, families and, and individuals. Go ahead, Mike, with your follow up. Um, it, it strikes me that our, our viral situation here in Nova Scotia is not terribly different from our neighbours in PEI and New Brunswick, and yet the approach being used this in is those two question. provinces is, is different than what we're doing here. Dr. Strang, what are you seeing in our epidemiology that makes you confident about the approach we're using? And, and Premier, um, why do you feel comfortable using a less restrictive approach here in Nova Scotia at a time when our hospitals are under just as much strain as what they're seeing in PEI in New Brunswick. I, I think I, I want to jump in here before uh, 
we uh, before they answer the question. This is a very good question, and this is actually something that I brought up in my email to Dr. Strang. The science is the science. People can disagree with science. People can debate the science. I mean, we, we should question the science. We should debate it. But here's the thing. Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and PEI, we're all in the same area, okay? We, we all, we're all very closely related, related. It's not like PEI is on the other side of the world and, you know, it's 20,000 miles to get to New Brunswick. We're all really, really close. We're all, like, we're, we're all neighbors here, okay? So this is a good question because if the science says one thing in New Brunswick, if the science it says one thing in New Brunswick, it says one thing in PEI, then why is Nova Scotia be like, well, you know, we're we're just gonna we're gonna look at things differently and have a different approach. You know, I I asked somebody uh, about this, and they said that there wasn't any data to support uh, a certain argument, and I said, well. We have data from other provinces. Why can't we use that? And too many people are focusing on what's just happening here in Nova Scotia. We're not taking into account that, you know, we're all neighbors. We can we can look at what New Brunswick is doing. We can look at what PEI is doing. Do I think we need to go into a hardcore lockdown? Absolutely not. That would be absolutely detrimental to the, the mental health of Nova Scotians. So... Let's continue here. I want to hear what Dr. Strang and Dr. Houston have to say to this very, very good question. Oh, wrong window. <laughs> so maybe I'll start first. Certainly, if you look at New Brunswick, yep. they started in a very different position because of decisions they had made. They had a substantive delta wave in the fall, and their hospitals already had a substantive burden of of, uh, of patients uh, before Omicron hit. We were we were in a very different situation, and if you look at P uh, Prince Edward Island, there are several weeks behind us, and they, they are just now seeing the surge that we had several weeks ago. And also, they're in a different position. That they have much less capacity in their hospitals and ICU beds than we have in Nova Scotia. So every province has a different starting point, has a different circumstances. Uh, and what we're looking at, we feel it's, it's lots of pressure, but we feel that uh, that we have the right balance of uh, of, of restrictions uh, to slow down the spread. Um, uh, but also, we know that all of the restrictions come with their own sets of harm. So we're very cognizant of not going further than we need to. Okay, that was that was reassuring. And, and thank you, uh, thank you, um, Michael, and of course, Dr. Strang. And I think you just heard the reason why I'm confident. I'm confident because public health is confident. So in in this province, uh, we've done well through the pandemic, through three premiers now. Um, because we've respected the advice of public health. We've listened to the experts and we continue to do that. So I have incredible confidence in, in Dr. Strang and his team at public health. And um, I assure you uh, from my discussions with them, they have the very best interests of Nova Scotians at heart. This is about the safety of Nova Scotians. Um, but as elected officials, as leaders, we, we, we should listen to the experts. And that's exactly what we're doing in this province. And I thank Dr. Strang and his team uh, for their incredible dedication to the safety of Nova Scotians. Next, we'll go to Alicia Drouse from Global. Go ahead, Alicia. 
Thank you. Just, I guess, uh, as a bit of a follow-up to that question, um, is there a threshold for Nova Scotia to maybe be more restrictive or, or follow, you know, what New Brunswick or PI is doing? Is there a certain amount of hospitalizations? Why is or she maybe begging for restrictions? Health care workers off isolating. Is there any kind of target? There should no, be a target I, to I, lower I restrictions. The question not a target a to have the last two years. What you know about specific targets? It's a, not about one target. We we're, we're in continual discussions, myself and my colleagues within the Department of Health and Wellness, with our colleagues in the NSH and the IWK, uh, understanding all the different parameters that go into uh, their assessment of their situation, and then also how they're responding to that. So it is a it is really on a daily basis we look at where we're at both of the epidemiology and 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 the capacity issues in the healthcare system and how they are mitigating those pressures um and so far uh, we're all at a, the judgment that yet yeah, things are very uh, very tough uh, very tight uh but we feel that uh that from a uh a restrictions perspective that we have the right level of restrictions to help slow down the spread uh, I, I i'm going to take the opportunity of your question to emphasize once again um that what we need the most uh from all nova scotians is to very strictly adhere to the level of restrictions we have and all the personal measures that we're asking every nova scotian to take um we need to do the best possible job with what we put in place to give that its maximum impact to protect the healthcare system. To me, that's much more important than, than, than tightening up some restrictions, uh, where, which, which may actually create uh, more people just kind of giving up and stop, stopping following the personal measures. I can, I can see that happening. He's Go ahead, actually Alicia, correct. I would agree with him. I can see people Thank just you. giving up. And can you talk about if it's believed that Nova Scotia has reached the peak of Omicron and maybe if or when that happened? And how can we actually know when, if we do hit the peak, if rapid test results for the most part aren't being reported? So we certainly have, uh, 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 we've said all, uh, you know, for several weeks, we, we are no longer in a position where we need to know every, every case. We have several thousand uh, people being tested every day with PCR tests. That is certainly a very sufficient amount of testing uh, to monitor the progress of the, of the Omicron wave, whether, whether it's going up plateaued and then starting to come down. We only, only will never know for certain where we are uh, after the fact. And we can look back and go, oh, that's when we started to come down. So right now, uh, you know, as I said last week, we are right in the middle of, uh, of, of, the, of the Omicron wave, and which means we're right at the, at the peak. Uh, and how long that's going to go on for, uh, there, you know, there's a number of factors that go into that. But we continue to watch both our um, the PCR results for that overall surveillance perspective, as well as our hospitalization data, uh, which, as, as scary as it looks, has been relatively stable for the last uh, number of days. So that's encouraging signs, but it by no means dimin um, diminishes the impact it's having right now on our hospitals. So we're right in the middle of things. Uh, I think, you know, we expect that it's the next week and in the, uh, the rest of this week and in the next week, we'll start to get a clearer picture of what is the trend uh, and where we might be on, on that peak, perhaps starting to come down. 
Um, but uh, again, we, we watch things very carefully on, on a daily basis to get that sense of where we're at. But, but ultimately, we will only know for sure where we were are on the peak uh, in the rearview mirror. Next, we'll go to Natasha Pace from CTV. Go ahead, Natasha. Thank you. Um, Dr. Stern, can you speak a bit about um, the, the impacts of having more than 500 Nova Scotia Health employees currently off work, either because they're wow. positive or waiting on test results or were exposed to COVID? Like, what impact does that have on an already struggling health care system in the province? Uh, severe. Now, I, 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 <laughs> wow. I, uh, I didn't know that there were 500 uh, workers out. I mean, e e even before the pandemic, we, we still had a shortage of nurses. Nurses were given too many hours to work. They were not given enough downtime. Emergency rooms were being closed in the summer months. This right here is probably why the hospitals are at capacity, because we don't have enough staff. So your factor is, you know, for every person uh, in hospital, you need, you need a bed and you need staff and you need not just the direct care staff, but all the supporting staff around them that makes the hospital run all the laboratory, the diagnostic imaging, cleaning, dietary, everything. So there's no doubt that having those workers off is, is, is a significant contributor to the pressures. Um, we've made adjustments uh, in terms of allowing people identified as close contacts to go back uh, to work uh, or to school uh, with with appropriate protocols, and certainly the healthcare has significant protocols, what we call return to work protocols. They're also continue to look at what are their necessary occupational health and safety and infection control protocols that would allow people uh, to come back to work, uh, whether they're recovered from an infection or they're identified as a contact in a safe manner. So we're certainly working to mitigate that as as best as possible. But it is no doubt. Out, it's certainly a major part of the of the pressures the the hospitals are facing right we, now. We need more staff. Go ahead, Natasha, with we, your follow-up. We need up. more staff. That's the bottom Thank line. Thank you. Uh, Premier, many businesses, specifically those who work in you know spas and salons, say they need more help from government um, because of the restrictions that are currently in place. They can't offer all their services or have to limit how many clients they work with on a daily basis. Are you looking at providing any additional assistance to some of these struggling businesses? It's a constant discussion. I spoke to the minister about this yesterday, actually, and, and, and I think it's important to know that, you know, when we went through this before with different lockdowns and restrictions, there was, you know, every time we, we look at the supports that are there. And so we, we've kind of we've kind of been building on, on the supports that are there where we can, where it's appropriate. So it's, it's an ongoing discussion. But the, the restrictions, are, there's, there's not a single Nova Scotian that the restrictions are easy on. They're hard on everyone, for sure. We, we, we know that. We, we feel that. We respect that. Um, Here's the thing, Mr. Premier, with all due respect, sir. When you literally take away somebody's ability to provide for their family and you look at them and say, no, I, I'm just going to consult with some people and see what they have to say, that's not going to help. You have to help the people of this province, if you're going to go into somebody and say, you're not allowed to go to work, you have to stay home because I said so, you have to help them. There is no consulting anyone. If you're going to tell someone you're not allowed to have an income because I'm the premier and I say so, then you have to step up, sir. You have to 
step up and help them. You have to make sure that the people of this province have food on their table if you're the one who's going to be taking their ability away to earn the money that they need to buy food. And let's, of course, not forget the truck drivers. Can't buy food if there's no truck drivers. So we'll continue to have have the discussion. Um, for the most part, the the supports have been like very direct impacts. Uh, we understand there are indirect impacts, but uh, as well, we'll continue to have the discussions and, and see if we, if it's if we can do something, we will. Next, we'll go to John McPhee from the Chronicle Herald. Go ahead, John. Thank you. Uh, this is a question for the premier. Uh, do we have a sense of how the impact of uh, the cancellation of procedures and surgeries uh, related to the uh, staffing crisis? I, I talked to a young woman today who has been basically confined to bed for months because her spinal surgery has been canceled. Sorry, my uh, my kids what kind were of being quite noisy. Can you give to these people that their healthcare needs will be met at some point? Yeah, we, we the, the 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 impacts are real. The postponements are real, and we know that uh, the, the the status of the system, you know, as it's been deteriorating over over a number of years now. A lot of times, when you get your appointment, it's long past when it you know optimally would have been had. So we know that these are real. I I I, I certainly wait times hear are not from a uncommon. number of people every day in in similar situations, and it's heartbreaking. But we'll get through this wave, uh, and then we will we'll we're completely focused on 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 catching up and supporting those and getting those procedures done. I don't have a a timeline for that. We have to get through this wave first, and then we can really focus on on getting people those types of care. Go ahead, John, with your follow-up. Thank you. Uh, this is for Dr. Strang. The, the number of lab-confirmed uh, positive cases appears to be on the decline uh, yep. in the last week. Uh, we're, we're down in the 400 daily uh, case range, somewhere around there. Uh, around there. Uh, do you expect that to continue, or can we expect a spike in cases in the coming week? As we he has no way of knowing that. Public Health Department this week. Uh, what's your sense of where where the Omicron wave is going? So our our number of lab confirmed cases and our percent positivity. If you look back uh, prior to the, the the weekend we've just been through, it was relatively stable for about a week. Uh, our our lab numbers went down, or the you know uh, the, uh, the positive tests went down, but also the total number of tests went down over the weekend simply because of the storm. So I wouldn't put too much stock in the reductions uh, over the last few days. Today we saw the volume of, of tests had gone up, but our 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 our, our number of positives still remained uh, lower than we were seeing, and our percent positivity is down a few percentage points. But that's only one day. Um, you know, you know, my, I'm okay. watching so every day, and my they're my normally on here. Trend continue for uh, a number of days. They're normally on here that, for an hour. That happened before we could make. So they are. They're normally on here for an hour. I'm going to see. Uh, are they still broadcasting? Yes, they're still broadcasting. Um, I want to cut off the government here because although they are answering some some pointed questions, there's some other stuff that I think we need to address. Now, I'm just going to change my window here, change my tab. I want to bring in... Da, 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 da. 
here we go. So I'll close out the government's tab. Oh, where is it? Oh, there it is. <laughs> I don't I don't have my hotkeys set up yet. So this is an article directly. Uh, this is from uh, CTV News. It says no evidence healthy kids, adolescents need COVID-19 boosters. WHO chief scientist says this was published yesterday at lunchtime and uh, was updated was updated 20 minutes later. So they're, they're, they're saying that um, the TLDR on the article is they're saying that, you know, they are recommending that kids get a booster shot, but they're saying that there's no evidence. Um, you see, there is no evidence right now that healthy children or heavy adolescents need boosters, no evidence at all. So when Dr. Strang says, and now he is my province's chief medical officer, when he recommends that people get vaccinated, I tell people, consult your doctor. When he says get boosted, I remind people, I show them this. You know, these are, you know, when the, when the World Health Organization says there's no evidence, okay, okay now, then again, they all said, let's see, no more down here in the article. They also said that there was no evidence that there was transmissibility in the air of COVID-19. So take from that a grain of salt. Okay. So let's change the, to the next window here. We're going to go over to this one. Now, some people may or may not like what they're about to see here. This is the website for the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Okay. There are specific diseases that elevate your risk of having serious complications for COVID-19. I mentioned at the beginning of this stream that we had to consider um, we had to consider more things than just isolation and vaccination. We had to look at people's lifestyles. So let's let's look at this here. Uh, the overview. People of any age with the following conditions are more likely to get severely ill from COVID-19. Severe illness means that a person with COVID-19 may be hospitalized, need intensive care, require a ventilator to help them breathe, or die. In addition, older adults are more likely to get severely ill from COVID-19. More than 81% of COVID-19 deaths occur in people over age 65. The number of deaths among people over 65 is 80 times higher than the number of deaths among people aged 18 to 29. That is quite severe. That that is, you know, that that is very important. The risk of severe COVID-19 
increases as the number of underlying medical conditions increases in a person. Long-standing systematic health and social inequities have put various groups of people um, at increased risk of getting sick and dying from COVID-19. Now they go on here about people with different types of diabetes and racial stuff. I don't want to get into the, to the, to the racial politics. I don't want to get into the minority groups. I don't think that we need to inject identity politics into this. Um, you know, of course there are going to be some contributing factors. There are some diseases that they are treated differently in different people based on, um, genetics you know i'm not getting into that so let's scroll down here medical conditions so this is not in order of risk this these are things elevate your your risk here cancer that's on the top of the list there are also people that have cancer that can't be vaccinated because of either the type of cancer or the treatment or their system Okay, chronic kidney diseases, um, chronic liver diseases, chronic lung diseases, um, like asthma, bronchitis, you know, that stuff is very serious. Uh, COPD, my, my grandmother had that. Uh, dementia and other neurological conditions. I didn't know that. And I, I, I'm not sure how dementia uh could 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 affect it but i can only i can only estimate that it might have something to do with your ability to function um having either type 1 or type 2 diabetes uh down syndrome okay i i didn't know that heart conditions well that's that's blatantly obvious having uh heart conditions such as heart failure Coronary artery disease, can't pronounce that one. Possibly high, ooh, possibly high blood pressure. I know there's a lot of people with high blood pressure. Um, HIV, of course. Um, people with a, a compromised immune system. Um, different uh, mental health. They have mood disorders on here. Um, depression, schizophrenia, spectrum disorders. Um, I'm not sure how that affects it. Um, or, or being overweight and obese. I mean, this is what I was talking about. You know, kids need to have exercise at schools and they're just not getting the exercise. You know, um, I myself, I'm morbidly obese. I'm well aware that, you know, I am definitely... Not very good condition there. Pregnancy, sickle cell disease, smoking, of course, blood, uh, solid blood or organ or blood stem cell transplants. Yeah, you know, stroke, substance abuse. Well, of course, tuberculosis. You know, there are a number of things on this list that can according to the CDC, cause serious complications with COVID-19. So this is why we, we see the government saying, okay, there's this many people in hospital. 
they all have COVID-19, but only this many people are in the hospital because of COVID-19. So, for example, uh, let me see here. Having chronic liver disease, such as alcohol-related liver disease. Okay. Um, if you've got... You know, if you're, if your liver, you know, if you're an alcoholic and you've got, you know, uh, problems with your liver and you're hospitalized for it, you know, is it the, the liver issues or is it the COVID-19 that that's causing your problems? Uh, this one right here, cancer. I want to bring that one up because I'm going to, um, I'm going to bring up a absolutely sad and heart-wrenching story here. So if anybody is sensitive to different uh, different types of content that may or may not uh, be about, uh, a, a bit uh, emotional for you, um, let me just check the date on this one here. So this was written October 15th, 2021. So... We were told that Alberta had experienced their uh, their first their their youngest COVID nineteen death. Okay, the original article spread by CTV and the CBC and everything like that. It was, for all intents and purposes, completely fake news. Now. When I say it was fake news, I mean it was literally they they lied, okay? The chief medical officer of New Brunswick lied. The government lied. They all lied. This is one of the reasons why TLDR Press, why I'm, I'm working with a number of people to develop certain policies because the government lied. And this story is the admission of the CBC. Alberta's reporting of comorbidities questioned after a boy 14 removed from COVID-19 death count. So his family says that this poor young man died of cancer and not COVID-19 as the province fraudulently reported. Now, nine months um, after being diagnosed with stage four, with a stage four brain tumor. Okay. This poor kid had stage four brain cancer. Okay. And two days after he tested positive for COVID-19, he died. Okay. I, I, I did a, I did a quick search on, the different types of, of cancer. He had stage four brain cancer, depending on the physical condition of his body. I mean, he is a young kid. Yes, he was young, but he's, he's not a mature adult. So a system hasn't come to its peak strength yet. This poor kid at the age of 14 had been suffering with stage four brain cancer and died. Okay. He was listed as dying from COVID-19. Now, 
Miss Henshaw, the chief medical officer of Quebec, had to retract her words because the family took them to task. And yes, I I am in agreement after in-depth research and analysis of this entire story. This is fake news, CBC. The chief medical officer of the province of Alberta deliberately spread fake news along with the CBC claiming that a child who was already dying in the hospital of brain cancer had died as a result of COVID-19. Now, that's something we have to look out. And I have I have another sad story here about another young man, another teenager who died. This one, when I originally read the story, full disclosure, it, it upset me greatly because this this poor kid, okay, the way he's being treated in the media is a complete lie. All right? Here's the story. Healthy teenager who took precautions died suddenly of COVID-19. Okay. I, I can tell you that I'm I'm healthier now than what I was last year. This time last year I was I was bedridden, recovering from my hospitalization. So it was it was quite, you know, it was it was quite quite severe. Um I nearly lost my life in uh at the end of twenty twenty. And my, my diet, my unhealthy lifestyle, uh, my size, just being a fat guy was, was part of the problem. But I can tell you, as somebody who is morbidly obese, that this kid was not healthy. I know that there's a lot of people who would scream about being healthy at any size and all that, but he was not healthy. This poor kid, for whatever reason, is absolutely morbidly obese. There is, there's no lie. I mean, I'm morbidly obese. I, I know what the risk factors are. I'm not going to sit here and say, I can be healthy at any size because that's not true. Okay? This kid paid with his life. Okay? I almost paid with mine. Okay? I almost lost my life and would never see my wife and children or anyone again because of my unhealthy lifestyle. I have lost a huge amount of weight. Okay. I'm still a big dude. You know, I'm still fat, but I have lost so much weight and I'm getting more exercise. I'm eating healthier. I mean, my snacks, I don't eat potato chips for snacks anymore. I don't eat chocolate bars for snacks anymore. I, I've cut almost... Well, I, I'm a I'm a diabetic now too, apparently. So I, I've cut basically all sugar out of my diet, and I've lost a huge and absolutely enormous amount of weight, and I eat much healthier. My leg is recovering, so I'm able to get out and move around and get some more exercise. So I'm I'm doing my best because I don't want to die because I'm morbidly obese. This story, like I said is personal to me because although I'm obviously much older than he is, his story could have been my story, except I didn't have COVID-19. 
so what I want to see from the uh, the premier and Dr. Strang is I want to see them talking about what we can do to maintain some sort of healthy living. I want to see what's going to happen if if Nova Scotians, if we go out and we start eating better, we start exercising more, okay? I understand not everybody can afford to eat better because food is getting extremely expensive. I understand that not everybody can, can go out and, and do these things, but go for a walk with your family, okay? Cut back on the sugar. You know, if, if you drink uh, Coke or Pepsi or something like that, um, you know, if, if you can't, if you can't get rid of it because you've been, you know, your body has been so adjusted to, to it coming in, switch from like Pepsi or Coke to like Coke Zero or Pepsi Zero. It's still not good for you, but it will help get you there. Um, instead of buying a large bottle of, of pop, like a, a big, a big two liter bottle, buy yourself a can, you know, portion control. It, 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 you know, that, that's, that's what I had. That's what I started doing before I was hospitalized. Obviously I didn't do it quick enough, but if, if you have trouble getting yourself off the sugars and, and the junk, it's all about portion control. Start limiting yourself on the, the amount of garbage that you're consuming every day. You know, um, if you still want to have your chips, have your chips, but eat a smaller amount. You know, instead of buying a great big monstrous bag of chips at Costco, buy yourself, you know, one of those little bags. Stock up on chips at Halloween time. You know, e even as a diabetic, when I, when I look at the sugar content and the carbs, you know, I shouldn't eat a bag of chips. But... If I want to have a bag of chips, I can. And the bag of chips that I eat are the Halloween style. So, you know, once or twice a month, if I would like to have a bag of potato chips, that's what I can eat. Because believe me, I, I mean, th this kid looks like he has an absolutely wonderful family or had a wonderful family, okay? And... It is sad to lose a child. You know, it is it is sad to lose a child, to lose siblings. It is sad and it is heartbreaking. And when you're there in the hospital and you're really is you're you're realizing that your your unhealthy habits are what put you there. And you realize that eating all of this junk has made you absolutely, unbelievably, morbidly obese. And that you might not wake up in the morning. You know, that that's something that you have to figure out how to deal with. That's something that, that you have to deal with. Because you don't want to end up like this kid. And you don't want to end up like what I was. I am permanently scarred for the rest of my life. I have a permanent deformity on my leg from the sections of my leg that were removed when I was hospitalized. So trust me, you know, you don't, you don't want to go through that. You don't want the pain and suffering. If, if I, as somebody that was, 
you know what? I'll, I'll admit it. I was way over 300 pounds. I've well under, I'm under 300 pounds now, but if I can do it, you know, then you can too. And for me, it's an uphill battle with food addiction and depression. And, you know, I, I have Graves disease, so I take artificial thyroid hormones. So I know that, yeah, sure, people are going to make excuse about having medical issues. But if I can figure out how to get healthier and I can change my diet for the better, you can too. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I know that I, I don't schedule these videos on a regular basis. We have another video. If you are watching this or you're watching the video on demand afterwards, we have another video, another interview coming out on Saturday. Um, it is going to be absolutely good, so check the programming schedule. And uh, for today, I am Joshua Eaton for TLDR Press. Thank you for listening, watching, and uh, we'll see you next time. Have a wonderful afternoon.